Hey everyone, this is a special episode for Mother's Day. I'm actually recording this a few days before though, right after the recording of this podcast. It's going to be an interesting one because I have three guests. So it's me, my sister, and two of my best friends. And I really, I thought a lot about what I wanted to do. And there, one thing that's cool about having your own podcast, and for me, is just I can aspire to get certain guests and try to do what I want and aspire to cover certain subjects. And I'm really trying to cover a lot of things because I think I've said it before, but people's stories are important and the opportunity to share is important for the person who's sharing their story, but the opportunity to hear these stories is important for those who are receiving them. And I wanted to do something for Mother's Day because being a mother is a job that doesn't really come with pay per se. And it doesn't even come with respect sometimes because either from the people you're parenting or from others. And I'm just really excited about being able to share this and the fact that these women decided, yeah, they'd come on and they'd talk about motherhood and also their jobs outside of that. And then how the whole more than work, I guess what I'm developing now is more of a mindset or philosophy and it's something I'm working on. I'm very mindful now that I have this podcast of how much I'm making work take the center stage outside of work hours, for example. And so this episode's for moms. My mom worked, my mom and dad had their own business and my mom went to work six days a week the whole time I was growing up and but she also ran us around to things. I was always sign up, signing up for activities. She had to take me to those. You, know, you don't realize when you're a kid like you're doing all these things, but someone's enabling you to do that. You, But when you look back as an adult, you realize, oh yeah, I did all these things, but someone helped me. Someone got me there. And so this is to thank all the moms. This is to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. And this is to wish all the other mothers a happy Mother's Day. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk to my three guests. It was a lot of fun to learn more about them, even though I know them really well. It was really fun to talk to them in this way and get to know about these aspects of their life more. They're all great women. They're all great mothers. And they have great kids. I love all their kids. And so I just hope everyone enjoys this. I hope you have fun. I hope that if you're a mother that you have a good Mother's Day and that you're appreciated. Here we go. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. Guys, this has already gotten interesting <laughs> because I have four guests. No, I don't. I have three guests and me. I'm the fourth and you're already here laughing. So we're going to have fun. And this is the special Mother's Day episode. Since I'm not a mother and can't speak to motherhood, the only thing I've been a parent of is this podcast so far. I thought I'd bring in some mothers and talk to women who are doing the job of mother and then they have a second job as well, whatever it is. So we're going to talk to Rico Ono, who we'll call Eddie, because that's what I call her. 
and everyone calls her. She's a floral designer and mother and Erin Snell, corporate communications director and mother and Samira Steventon, esthetician and mother. So why don't you ladies introduce yourself so people know who you are when you're talking. All right. And I'm Eddie. Oh, no. Sometimes known as Ed. I am a floral designer. I have been since I left college many years ago, on and off. And I have two boys. One is 10 years old, almost 11. The other one's 14. Yikes. And I am a divorced mother as well. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a little too extra right now? We all, I guess we all think divorce is funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who's scared of divorce? We laugh at it. My name is Erin Snell, and I'm in San Diego, California. I work for a technology company called Lytics doing uh, corporate communications. I have two daughters, a seven-year-old named Ruby and a five-year-old named Lucy. Right. And married. <laughs> yes. And I have a fur child, a large fur child. So basically, I have four children. <laughs> large husband, large fur child, two kids. <laughs> Samira. Okay, I'm Samira and I have three kids. My oldest is 16, then I have a 13 year old and 11 year old, two boys and a girl. I'm an esthetician and I work part time doing that, and I'm also a divorced mother. Just like Ed. It's also a funny divorce. So, (laughs) all right, good. Thanks for being here. I know. And just to set the set who these people are and what we're doing, it's now almost 6 a.m. in London, and they're all on the west coast of the United States. And so it's 10 p.m. for them. And just so everyone knows, Samira is my sister. And then the other two guests are two of my best friends that I've known for like many years. So we're probably going to sound like friends talking and that's because we are. And then me and my sister are also friends, I would say. So that's who the (laughs) guests are. People will often say that motherhood is a thankless job. A lot of people feel that way about their career jobs too. And I feel like that way as a project manager, I'll tell you. But what do you find to be the most difficult thing and then the most rewarding thing about being a mom? Well, I think the most difficult thing about being a mom is just It's not at your regular job. Sometimes you get to go home and your job's over, but with a mom, you're not ever done. It will continue forever. Even Rabia, we know our mom is still our mom. That's never going to go away. You don't get a break. I just went on vacation and left my kids the longest I've ever left them. And it was pretty hard. Literally when I would go in the pool, I would bring my phone and put it under a towel because I was getting so many calls and texts and where's this and where's that and complaining about this or that. And you know, it doesn't go away. But another reward for all that is I came home to my kids. Like I missed them and I got to come home and they were here and they all missed me too. And the hugs you get, that's just, I don't know. There's a lot of rewarding things as being a, a parent, but I feel like Comfort is one of them with your children. Yeah, that's good. And I know I know you were getting phone calls just because then I heard that you were getting phone calls while you were on vacation. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's hard. So what about the other two? 
I would say that the best thing about being a mom, it is a thankless job in terms of the kids. I don't remember the last time the kids were like, thanks for being a great mom. (laughs) Even on Mother's Day, even on Mother's Day, like whatever, dad's buying the present or it's not like, I don't even get a card anymore that says thank you. So, <laughs> um, so it's definitely a thankless job. But I would say the best thing is that, I don't know, you just love them so much. You're raising humans. There's a lot of like kid perspective in the world where you get to see things through their eyes. You get to still be really goofy and silly with them. Rabia, you know that because we are goofy and silly with Aaron's kids. I'm more goofy and silly with my friend's children than my own. Um, <laughs> and and it's really nice to hear, especially with my 14-year-old, like what his generation hears and sees and to just turn off the adult thing for a while and kind of get the kid perspective. And that's awesome. They are the woke generation and I'm proud of it. And then I would say one of the worst things is, yeah, you just don't get to clock out. Even when they are not here, I still don't get to clock out because you're just thinking about them all the time. And even though you are waiting and waiting to get a break from them, when they're not here, then you miss them. And it, which is, it's kind of crappy. It's kind of a crappy (laughs) hand that you're dealt that you can never just unplug and not think about them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. I think for me, um, similar to Ed, it's like super rewarding just to see. It's almost like you're re-seeing the world through their eyes, going back to when you're little. And I think another thing that's super rewarding for me is just seeing like my family members with my children, like how much joy they bring to like my parents and my husband's parents. That's super fun. I think the ch- biggest challenge for me is just finding balance in my life as a whole, especially working in this pandemic, adding on top of that and being a mom, just that you wake up and like you guys said, it's a go and you stop work and then you pick up the kids and then you come home and it's like dinner and baths and bed and rinse and repeat and do it all again the next day. And there's just not a lot of downtime or time for yourself, which for me, I'm very, I definitely need to have time for myself, for my sanity. And finding that is a challenge sometimes. Yeah. And I think when you guys have all mentioned that either you don't clock out or it just doesn't stop. And I think knowing all of you pretty well and your kids, like you have kids in different age groups and that comes with different challenges. Like Aaron, you're still earlier mm-hmm. in it. And then Samara, of course, like your kid is now, your oldest one's now driving. And then Ed, you're in the middle there. So I guess for each of you, how have you seen it change? Like that kind of responsibility and balance. And Samara, do you look at Aaron and go, yeah, that's hard at that age. But now when they're this age, it'll be a little different. Like, how do you guys see that just having changed as your kids are getting older? I think that when you always look at your kids when they're whatever, go back to when they're an infant. Oh, I can't wait till this phase is over. I can't wait till diapers is over. I can't wait till this is over. Then it's, oh, I can't wait till they can make a peanut butter sand or a snack, whatever, by themselves. Because it will be easier. It will be easier. It will be easier. But what I'm finding, it's just a different challenge you face as a parent. Because when they're little, you control what they do, where they go, who they see. Now I'm facing this new thing where it's, okay, my kid's getting in his car and driving somewhere (laughs) and hopefully he's going where he's 
supposed to be, you know what I mean? And doing what he's supposed to do. And also the same thing with like sports and extra activities and stuff that kids do when they're smaller. It's, it's an involvement of all the parents. When it gets older, it's divided. Like now you don't talk to the coach. You don't talk to the other, you don't get to know people like you did. So it's just like another challenge you face and same with school. So when they're little and they're learning to read, it's hard because you're teaching your kid to read. Obviously the teacher is also, but if you're teaching them skills that they need to learn for the rest of their life, but it continues. And I don't know the ages my kids are. I look at their homework. I can't even help them. I have no idea. I call Rabia. (laughs) 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 The homework It's just like different challenges with different ages. And I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. It's like you, I feel like you always wait for the next thing for something to get easier, but I feel like it doesn't. I feel like I honestly feel like my kids being older, it's harder than it was when they were little. Yeah, I can agree with that. I I mean, the complexity too, I guess I should probably mention. So my younger son, Kenji, is intellectually disabled. We've known since he was maybe like two that there was something for sure up with him. We didn't have like definitive diagnosis. I actually didn't get like a good diagnosis that pointed to what his disabilities are until this year because we had more genetic testing done. And so even though Aaron's got the youngest kid, like my kid is really, I just say he's milk in childhood. So I have two children. My oldest is 14. I have been changing diapers for 14 years. Kenji's making progress, but that's, I don't even know what I would do about not having to have a diaper bag around. It just would be so weird. So for me, like that expectation shifts. Like I don't think of milestones in the same way. And I don't, and, but I think that it's true that my 14 year old, I feel more stressed out this year with him and he can cook meals and bathe himself and do all, you know, and watch his brother sometimes. Like you think because he's more self-sufficient that it would be easier, but like the problems just become more intense in some ways, like, or they matter more. Like you were saying, like, Samira was saying like her son can get in a car and go somewhere that the things that you imagine bad happening to your children when they're younger, like most of the time they don't happen. Oh, falling down the stairs or whatever. Now it's like real adult kind of problems that could happen that have huge consequences. And so it just feels like there's more on the line. Yeah. And -hmm. ironically, Samira and I both have fallen down the stairs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's family tradition. And our mom. Yeah, too. Yeah, Once I was attempting to run away from home. Yeah, so what about Aaron with your kids? Yeah, obviously, I'm at the younger uh, end of the spectrum, still in the thick of it, as people like to say. But I don't know, I think like anybody that has children, especially older children, likes to throw at you the whole adage about the days are long and the years are short. And um, it's like, I hear you, but are they really? Because these are like the longest <laughs> days of my life. So I want to believe you that it'll get better. But yeah, I don't know. I'm so early on in the journey. I, I, Although some things have surprised me already. It's like my oldest is in first grade and we're already having trouble with bullying and issues that I did not think I was going to have to deal with at the age of seven when I'm just trying to teach her how to navigate life and lead with a kind heart. And it's, I don't know, 
So I'm a little nervous <laughs> if I'm like dealing with these things already in first grade, to be honest. But I can see how it just probably shifts to harder things that you can't control. Yeah. And actually on that subject of bullying, I don't know, Samir, if you mind talking about whatever you can, but I know, and I know you, we've talked about just the whole thing with devices and Samira, mm -hmm. you just had a thing with TikTok and stuff and just how, I don't know, for me, just my perspective as a non-parent here and thinking about how I feel like a lot of us, we've taught ourselves to be more woke for lack of a better word, but our generation, cause we're all like, actually we're all, yeah, 40 over 40 now. So sorry to out some of you, but Thanks, yeah, we're all over Robbie. You are welcome. <laughs> and just thinking about, we've had to learn a lot and come, come along with things as they progress. But anyway, now there's like this bullying on TikTok. So I don't know, Samara, like just what you've seen with that. Yeah. I mean, my 11 year old, so fifth grade is a part of a large group text thread on just iMessage. And these kids are, number one, the language that they use. It's scary to think that kids talk the way that they do, knowing that other people are going to see it. And it's also scary reading it for me because I'm reading it and I'm thinking, there's 20 kids on this text. Are no other parents reading this? Am I the only one that thinks this is weird? And so this has been going on since the beginning of the year. But during the last break, they started screenshotting pictures of kids and putting them on the text and really making fun of them. Features that they have about their weight, stuff like that. And I got really upset because they're not making fun of my daughter. And my daughter doesn't even respond on this text because I've already told her, put it on mute, don't read it. She's gotten out of the text and they add her back. You know how the, the iMessage works with adding people and whatever. And I brought it up to the school and it really upset me. And I told them, I said, this is the age where kids are so impressionable. They take what they hear. And especially when it comes to looks or weight and you don't forget that. And I feel like once you say something over and over to a kid and they're asking you to stop, that's when bad things happen at schools. That's when kids go and hurt other people or hurt themselves. I just feel like at this point in time, the way that social media is with texting, with all of the platforms that these kids have, the TikTok, the Instagram, Snapchat is a terrible one, all of these things. And then the messages, I just feel like it should be taken more seriously. And I just cannot believe that anybody at this point would just be like, Lynn, just get your daughter off the text. That will solve the problem. Because it doesn't solve the problem. Like people are being hurt and it's a big deal to me. Yeah. I've had, I had a similar, we had a similar problem at the beginning of this year where I had read some text messages on Kaz's phone and he had been like participating in the fringe of cyberbullying this girl that he didn't even know. And luckily I knew a lot of the other kids on there and then I talked to him about it and I dug into it and so I was able to talk to some of the other moms and then they all became aware of it. And then they talked to their boys. It was all boys. It was all boys in their grade. And then in the end, I made him apologize to this girl. He didn't even know her. And he was really embarrassed about it. No, I don't want to, I, I don't want to apologize to her. And I was like, no, you need to apologize to her. And I think he was afraid. And when he did, she wrote him back. She's like, you didn't have to do that, but I really appreciate it. And I just think it made him feel better. I feel like very responsible because I'm raising boys in particular to, and there, I forgot to mention I'm in Portland, Oregon. 
And the school that my kids go to is just our neighborhood school, but they actually are really good about teaching their health classes, like about consent and about all kinds of things where I'm like, sweet. I like, these are things I was going to talk to him about. No, I don't have to. But, but I, I feel like when he makes comments, even if they seem somewhat harmless about like girls in sports or I don't know, he's really accepting of things that I think were harder or newer for us to do, like pronouns. It wasn't a big deal that we had a babysitter that went by like they there. It was like so hard for me to wrap my head around it and to get it out of my mouth. I'm, it's much better now, but, and he just was like, okay. But then there's other things where I really feel like I am like, getting on a feminist soapbox even more than I normally would, because I feel like I need to raise good, men, good men, you know, I need to raise them to be compassionate and understanding, but also just not have any of that toxic crap that we grew up with. And we're just accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think accountability is big. And I think like making him apologize to this girl is really big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Aaron, you're like in the earlier part of it where it's just in school still because the kids don't have phones. Yeah, and it's so for mine, Ruby, my oldest, is a bit of a tomboy, which I love. She's the only girl and plays with the boys all day long. But we're on our like fourth incident in the last month where she's also taller and stronger than most of the boys. The kind of school director basically said it's at this age at seven, boys don't know how to handle their emotions. And they're basically she runs circles around them on the playground and schools them in whatever game they're playing and they don't know how to handle it. So they're just super mean to her. Last week they, it was she was super upset, upset at school because two of the boys told everybody that she had warts all over her body and she had an ugly face. Aww. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, this is like not okay. And the week before that, it was like single file in line and the boy behind her is like, all I can see is a big fat butt. Oh, because she has a bubble butt. So do I. So does my entire family. (laughs) But I tell him like, Ruby, that's why you're faster than everybody else. That's the largest muscle in your body. And this is why you're so fast. Oh, Matt. Oh, my gosh. I'm not even prepared for these conversations. And similar thing, Ed, like they made these two boys write her letters of apology and read them out loud to her, actually. And she they gave her a chance to say whatever she wanted to them. And I think she just basically said that your words made me super sad, but it's so hard to navigate because I don't know. It's just, again, I did not think I would be dealing with this sort of thing in first grade. And that was just two of the four incidents in the last month, but I don't know. It's challenging. And then I asked her, I'm like, what are the girls doing rubes? And she's like playing unicorns. well maybe at some point if everybody's not being kind to you i don't know (laughs) she's like i'm not playing unicorns i'm like all right yeah which you're probably glad about i don't know it's that's a proud i'm like i grew up playing with the boys too so did my mom i'm like rock Mm -hmm. on but like i did not have i did not become self-conscious of anything about my body until like junior high I don't think Mm -hmm. maybe sixth grade so again just the fact that this is first grade I'm still in disbelief I don't even know yeah that's crazy just because it is something you shouldn't even be thinking about yeah we should never have to think about it and Mm -hmm. as someone who's like gonna be 42 this week
like even just hearing Samir earlier and saying, yeah, when kids hear something over and over, I'm still dealing with that five pounds I should have lost when I was in seventh grade, probably like more in 10th grade. But yeah, that five pounds I never lost plus the additional now. But it's just like, that doesn't go away from you things. And I think what's interesting about all these is just the communication aspect though. And just how we didn't learn that saying even now the idea of a forgiveness and apology and stuff it's something that our generation didn't learn that early like we learned to say sorry but not with actual meaning and accountability and stuff it was like say sorry for doing that and then that was it and then the other person had to say okay and now it's no you don't have to actually say okay you can actually say yes i accept your apology but you hurt me and i think that's cool that they're learning those skills now i don't know Mm-hmm. Well, I think the gender roles are are more are are less like traditionally defined now too. Especially like even though even as state primarily as a stay at home mom, I think because I'm a divorced stay at home mom I, for the most part that I'm a hundred percent divorced, but I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one taking out the trash. I'm the one who's getting my car fixed or like my, although my car battery dies, I still call the kid's dad to come out and bail me out. <laughs> Otherwise they're just, we're spending the night at the soccer field. But I think that in those ways, a lot of those gender roles, like my parents were very traditional, stay at home mom, working dad kind of deal. But now I think the kids see their parents not in those really traditional roles. And I would hope that, they that the dads even it's one thing for the moms to teach these lessons to the kids too of how to treat the opposite sex or the or just people in general but i think the dads have to be really responsible for it too i think that's plays a giant part and they and that and they need to be pushed towards that this like gen x generation dude needs to be pushed a little harder into being both supportive of little girls in a certain way and their sons. Did you have something, Samir? Well, I was just going to say about the whole like bullying thing that's so much different than when we were kids is now things don't go away like they did before. Like before, maybe something would happen at school and you'd be really embarrassed and you would go home and go to school the next day and everything would be forgotten about and something else will happen. And that will be the new topic of the day. Now things don't go away for these kids. They'll go home. The texts start the, you know, Instagram messages start. People don't forget things and they don't get a break from it. It's like nonstop for these kids. They don't get to go home and rest, do their homework, watch TV, go to bed with a sound mind, like thinking, okay, it's done. Their phones are going off. They're being reminded of what happened. And it's not, it's, it definitely isn't fair to these kids the way things are for them now, because if they post a picture, they have to take it down if they don't get a certain amount of likes, or they have to think about every single thing they do, because maybe they're going to get made fun of it over it. They can't just post a fun dancing TikTok or them at the pool at the TikTok. They have to worry about someone screenshotting it and sending it to a bunch of people. And it's just... It's not a way to live. These kids have so much more than just what we had. They have just so much more to think about. That's just something I, I definitely wouldn't have thought about just because I post whatever, how I look, and that's it. But I know a lot of people have to worry and touch up their thing and mm-hmm. image. And yeah, getting away from that for a minute and just going back to like 
how you're balancing everyone and everyone has different kinds of jobs and Aaron, you have the more traditional, like corporate, you have many hours a week that you're working and then Samara, you're putting your schedule together and then Ed, you're part-time. How do you balance though, the whole thing with work and then your other job of being a mother and having that always be on as well? Like how have you guys found ways to balance that? I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Balance? What's that? I don't know. I think for me, my kids are a forcing function sometimes because you start your day and you have to, it's all your attentions on your kiddos because it has to be and you have to get them. Everything's got to be ticked and tied. You got to get them to school. And then it's like a quick shift to work. And then you do the work hustle until sometime between five and six, whenever you have to pick them up and switch gears again. I think the harder part for me is trying to like some days I like don't even find time to eat lunch or I don't even make it outside of my house in this pandemic. I don't even know what the weather was like today. I didn't even barely made it outside. So for me, I try to force myself to get outside for a walk, take one of my meetings while walking and at least get some fresh air. Or I try to be more mindful with my calendar of like defensive calendar and putting 30 minutes on to ride the Peloton or something like that and just get a workout in. But it's hard. It's I find that when I don't do that, I just feel really stressed out. But it's super hard to do that at the same time too because I'll end up doing that work, picking up the kids, doing the, the kid nighttime chaos, and then I'm back working and I'll work till midnight, sometimes 2 a.m., which isn't good either. So I think finding balance is super challenging. (laughs) And this pandemic year made it even more. And it's something that I'm constantly trying to figure out and try new tactics and see what works. Taking all suggestions if anybody has any too. (laughs) Yeah. So if anyone listening, just to morethanworkpot at gmail.com and send those in. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, I, especially through this pandemic, I have not worked hardly at all. So it hasn't been hard for me at all. (laughs) 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 But before I did work up until five years ago, I stopped working when I got a divorce and that's when I became an esthetician. So I think that I played the reverse role as a stay-at-home mom because most people stay at home when their kids are little and I didn't. And now I do and I really enjoy it and I like dropping my kids off from school and picking them up because I didn't always get to do that before. So I really like doing it now. And I think that now that I can make my own schedule once things go back to normal, I do also work from home. So I just can make my own schedule. So for me, it's not as hard. That's why I won't. Everyone tells me since I'm an esthetician, I should go get a job at a spa or something, but I don't want to give up my Saturdays with kids and stuff like that. So I'm lucky at this point, I get to choose that because maybe who knows in a year, I won't be able to do that anymore. So I'm taking advantage of it as long as I can to be able to be here with the kids as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that when the kids are smaller, you think like you want to be around. I know Kaz turned into a teenager. Like he got really tall the last couple of years. And as soon as he sprung up, you could see that I could see that he wasn't my little kid anymore. And I got this panic 
that he was going to be leaving me soon. And so now I want to spend all my time with him. But the, the irony is that he is a teenager who doesn't really want to spend all his time with this mom. <laughs> Even like he's 10. <laughs> I have to like, oh, you're not 10. But so my job, I started working. I only went back to work a year ago. And I kind of didn't want to do flowers for a really long time. And then I did a friend's wedding and I was like, oh, that was really fun. I like doing that. I had like my living room set up as a shop and, and I enjoyed it and it felt good. And so I thought, well, maybe I need the little break from the grind, the kid, the caretaking grind. So like having the kids and a disabled kid at that and then my mother has Alzheimer's. And so I felt like I was getting a little lost in the shuffle and didn't have any identity anymore other than being some, like taking care of other people. So I made a couple random calls one day and found like an ad in the paper. And I called this shop up and asked if they were looking for holiday help. And it was like January. So I knew that Valentine's was coming. And as it turns out, they didn't care if I wanted to only work one day a week while my kid was in school or two days a week. And so I started working there and I really love it. I have told people like I've never had an unsuccessful day of work. And I have it because like I can go in, they need me, I do my job, I'm fast about it, I get in and out. I'm really just okay with the manual labor aspect, being on my feet all day, like sometimes not, I don't take breaks. Like they often bring in tacos that make me happy. (laughs) So I take a break and I'm perfectly happy doing that. And I guess also, I also get to have adult conversations. So Mm -hmm. I love it and I get to be creative and it's it's not, I don't have to think too much about work. And so I really love it. And it is my break. The hardest thing I'd say is childcare, like trying to find people to be with the kids when, especially like when I had just been a stay-at-home mom, it was always me who would be with the kids in the morning and then have them after school. And so any stuff I would do would be within that time while they were in school. And then when COVID happened, it was like, I guess... I'm going to have to cut, like my two days at work are going to become one day at work and they're going to be limited at that. Now I have to find someone who's going to be with the kids. I was spending two or three days a week with my mom. I couldn't do that anymore. And then any hobbies that I had decided to do for self-care, I like to skateboard and I do copper plate etching. Like I started like carving out all these things that were self-care for me. And then all of a sudden a year ago, it was like, nope, you're not going to get to do those things anymore. And so I felt like I had worked really hard to get some balance and then it just got tossed out. And so now a little over a year later, I feel like I'm starting to gain some ground again. And I would love to work more, but again, my ex works full-time in a corporate job and he's like an executive there. So it's often feels like I can't ask him to be here when the kids get out of school. And so it's hard. And in Portland, the kids just went back to school like last month. And it's only for two hours and 15 minutes a day. And for my 14-year-old, that's two days a week. And for my 10-year-old, it's four days a week. So it's really like limiting. But even that feels luxurious to go to a grocery store and not have to worry about leaving the kids at home or taking them with me. Oh, God, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how, why like the candy in front of the cash register was annoying to our parents now. Like how try to block us from... (laughs) Like here, read the Inquirer or something. Yeah, (laughs) wear a mask at the same time while they're doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you almost want them to have an eye mask at that point. Oh, pull it up over your eyes instead, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, well, yeah. And I guess with the pandemic too, I know just 
working well i've worked remotely anyway so for me nothing changed as far as that goes but i've seen almost all of my clients kids now i've seen their <laughs> cats i don't know how many cat tails and butts i've seen on calls because um, cats just tend to walk across screens so have you guys have has it changed for you at all like your kind of level of tolerance around maybe i'd say like your work hygiene like of your space where you would go to work be at a desk or just no one would be infiltrating your space because you go into work so it's a little different but I don't know does that change like your tolerance like I know I don't mind seeing people's kids on screen anyway I think it's funny but like I know for them it's very stressful and stuff but have you just changed your level of tolerance for what's okay at this point yeah I think I'm a pretty tolerant person in general so I don't think (laughs) my tolerance level has changed I'm like hey to each his own I love to meet your kids and your dogs and your cats but I do think it's been a forcing function for other people which is like for me I think that's one of the nice things about this pandemic Mm -hmm. is it's it's helped for me like when I look at my coworkers, it's helped humanize some of them for me because I'm like oh okay things are normal like for you at home and I think the only challenging part I've definitely approved popsicles earlier in the morning than I would have rather (laughs) I think the earliest was like a 9 30 popsicle like trying to have a one-on-one with my boss and I was like whatever yes (laughs) and like the whole box of popsicles was gone whatever (laughs) (laughs) at least they they have little popsicles at least yeah yeah. I guess too just thinking about I've talked to each of you enough to know the school thing has been hard so what I don't know just maybe someone listening is yeah my kids are still at home a lot and stuff do you have anything that's worked for you any of you that with the kids being on zoom and doing that whole thing I did not think that Kenji was going to be able to do distance learning I thought are you kidding me and I just thought about his his classmates too because he has a lot of kids in his class who are like who have like down syndrome who are nonverbal where even being able to hold a gaze and focus on a screen would have been really hard and I should I don't know why I didn't think that Kenji wouldn't do well because he's a screen monster anyway like he's learned a lot of things from just surfing YouTube like repeatedly but he did really well with distance learning like he had a couple of teachers, especially if they were able to navigate technology, the younger teachers who were like <laughs> millennials, he did really well. And so actually I was eager to get him back in school, mostly for the socialization part. And so he could just have other people outside our home. And so I could get a little break, but curriculum wise, he was doing really well. And for me, it was so great. To, like, even though it was really challenging in their days, like he threw his Chromebook one day and busted the camera. There were definitely days where it was hard. Like he would, he just did not feel like he wanted to go watch YouTube on the TV all day. He didn't want to be in class. But on the most of the time, I was like, if I get a 70% rate during the week of like successful classes, and I'm stoked. He learned so much and it was so cool to see. And I didn't get to be in class with him at school and see how they teach him. And so that part was awesome. And I, I just, and I also got to see his friends cause I'd see them in their little houses and get to know their personalities. And so that was amazing. Meanwhile, like my 14 year old, I had no idea what the heck he was doing. He would like, just not even get out of bed, just roll over, you know, open up his computer. I just had to make sure that he actually was awake. They don't turn their cameras on. And so that was the part that was hard as I was helping Kenji learn. And then meanwhile, my good student 
was like taking a big nosedive in terms of turning anything in. And it's funny because I know what Samira's kids were up to, like her challenges, because because I talk because we both talked to Rabia and I will complain to her and she's, oh, my sister, mm-hmm. you know, niece is yeah. doing this. And so. Yeah. Empathy, then, indirect empathy. Like, yes, <laughs> you're not a parent, but you know all about it at this point. Yeah. I've been studying all of you for years. To know. <laughs> so what about you, Samara? Because I, I know, but like other people don't. Yeah. So at the beginning of this, back in March of last year, when they all went remote, it was really difficult for me because I was living in an apartment and the kids didn't have space to be on the computer from eight until, you know, two forty-five a day because they had long hours on their zoom at school. And it was really hard. It was a huge challenge at first, even for me to get to my kitchen, I would have to do like an army crawl through the house because there was cameras <laughs> everywhere because all because <laughs> they weren't allowed to do zoom in their rooms either. Like they weren't allowed to do it on their beds or anything like really? that. Mm -mm. So it was pretty hard at first. Thank God over the summer we moved and Rabia really set the kids up and got them all desks for school and what a difference it made. Honestly, they all have a desk in their room and they went back to school. I think Sophia went back pretty quickly. I think she went back maybe at the beginning of October. Then Matthew went probably a month later. And Joseph started after winter break. So they've all been back at school now, which they're all doing a lot better. Sophia, I have, it was a big challenge with her. She was on academic probation at school and she was really not doing anything she was supposed to be doing. So <laughs> it was That's hilarious. Yeah. It was a lot of days. It was like, what were you doing during your 80 minute class? Like, how does everyone do it? But I still have these problems with her now that she's in class. I, They haven't gone away, but they've gotten a lot better now that she's actually in class. <laughs> and then Erin, you have, I don't know, I've talked to your kids on FaceTime plenty, and I don't know how you would get, especially the younger one, to sit at a Zoom call. I can barely sit on my Zoom calls at work. Like, I refuse to go on camera most of the mm-hmm. time. So how was that for you with the younger yeah, definitely with Lucy, the younger one, it was tough because she's a later birthday. So it was a transitional kindergarten, they call it here. So she's four and was expected to be on Zoom for three hours. Okay. And I mean, at that age, they can't, they don't know how to mute and unmute themselves. We get the teacher, oh, Lucy, it's your turn, unmute yourself. So I just ended up, thankfully, I work for a company that's super flexible and I just, literally marked myself out of office from 9 to 11:30 ish every day because I had to help both of them. My older one finally got the hang of it a little bit, but my little one's also a wiggle worm. So th- three hours in front of Zoom is a lot in itself, but she like cannot sit still. So I ended up, somebody recommended a like a wiggle seat or a wiggle chair. And it's just this like disc and she just, it looks like an exercise ball that's flattened like a hamburger, but it just helps her like move just cause she's so fidgety. But that was rough for sure. It's just, I don't know. I think that's too much to ask a four-year-old to be on zoom for three hours, but that was, yeah, that was rough. But thankfully now they're all both back in school. 
Yeah, good. Yeah, I can't imagine. I'm just thinking about, so people obviously can't see what we're doing, but I have a stand-up desk and we were about 35 minutes in the conversation. I'm like, oh, I need to stand. So I did that. So I can't imagine being a four-year-old on mm-hmm. a Zoom call. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like the most ridiculous looking Zoom you've ever seen. There's 20 kids. It's They're all doing crazy things <laughs> under their bed. Some, it's like, what's going on with Jack there? Like, what view is this? Nobody's paying attention at that age. But yeah, the poor teachers too. I know. It's like they didn't oh. sign up for this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's insane. So thinking about like your any of your jobs and that you've had and then being a parent, did anything at work prepare you, give you skills that you could use as a parent or the opposite? Like maybe you've learned something as a parent that you've now applied to the you know possible children you work with. I was never good at working from home and that I can say is still the case when... I moved up to Portland. I was still working for Pro Flowers and I was supposed to be working from home. I think it's been long enough and that company is not really exists anyway that I can say I barely worked <laughs> for those whatever nine months after we moved up here because I just, I can't focus. I'm not good at it. I need to be in an office if I'm going to have that kind of a job. So when I'm here, my my home is my work and the kids are my work and that's easy to focus on. But if I have to sit down, if I had to sit down and do work, that would be really difficult. It's hard to pay the bills when the kids are running around here. And I would say that, yeah, I don't know if my work life from ProFlyers taught me much about raising my kids. I would say like, being at the flower shop, it gives me like more endurance for being on my feet and running around and multitasking. But I actually, I don't know if that's a chicken and egg thing. I don't know what came first. I don't know if the kids prepared me better to do that because I work with some younger people who don't have kids. They're not even married and they're just like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And I'm like, what's your problem? That is funny though. <laughs> do you notice kids too? Like they can't make change if you go to a cashier and they're like, I don't know. That's something my mom always said drove her nuts and I see it. Cause I'm like, well, yeah, our math let us learn how to make change, but yours didn't. So what about, <laughs> anyway, that's like a digression, but that's what I do. Are you commenting on Common Core? <laughs> oh, God. Yes, Common I am. Core. Because I have not been able to help Samira's kids with their math. <laughs> properly because I'm like well, I don't know you don't do that you just do this but anyway yeah we don't need to get on that subject so what about you guys like, anything that have you noticed like some lesson from one helps in the other for me I think it was more of a mindset shift that helped me that I learned at work was when you go from being an individual contributor to a people leader you have to shift your mindset to finding joy and I guess happiness in helping other people 
succeed versus you personally having the success. And I think for me, that same mindset shift happened for me when I had kids. It was the same thing where instead, you know, I so much of your focus and attention has to go to just helping cultivate these humans to being good humans. And you do not lose sight by design, but a little bit if you're, you shift your focus to kind of them and helping them succeed and be solid humans. So for me, I think that mindset shift that I had already learned and experienced in the corporate world then helped me when I had kiddos. Hmm. That's cool. For me, I think that's something I learned from my previous job. I was a business owner before my divorce. And I think that one thing that you need to do when you're a business owner or a manager or in charge of your group or whatever, you need to always tell people that they're appreciated. I think that the the biggest thing where people are unhappy when they're working is they're never told good job. You could do work your butt off all day long and no one ever tells you anything. And I feel as a parent, you need to tell your kids thank you for doing that. Or you took the trash out. I really appreciate you doing that. I think like small things matter. And I feel like respect goes both ways with your kids and the same with your employees. If you don't respect your employees, if you don't respect your boss, it shows. And I feel like that's the same in your household that if you don't respect your children, they're not going to, they're going to learn what you put out there. And I really feel when you tell your kids that you appreciate them, no matter what they do, it could be something so small that they just took the dog for a walk or even played with the dog or brushed their teeth without you telling them. Just anything. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. If they know that they're appreciated, it's. I feel like it's a really strong thing that they need to know. Another thing I've learned with my new job is I do lashes also as an esthetician. And I feel like patience is a big part of that (laughs) because people like to talk and move and you're trying to, you have two tweezers in their eyes when I feel (laughs) okay, you need to be very patient. And I feel like I'm very patient with that. And I feel like I've learned that by being a parent. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that's a very involved process, lashes. It's like a high maintenance thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just recently heard. I just thought people use false eyelashes, but. (laughs) Yeah, for a full set, it takes two hours. And when someone's talking the whole time. You don't realize how many eyes move when people talk, maybe. Yeah, they they move a lot. Yeah, because they think they just talk with their mouth. But yeah, so also, if anyone listening gets your lashes done, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Hold still. (laughs) Yeah, or, or practice talking. With only your mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> one thing that this podcast is about is just people getting out of the mindset that their entire self-worth is inherited from their work. And I know just talking to my mom over the years and as her being as a parent, you, your kids are a reflection of you as a parent. And that has to be tough, especially when they do stuff you don't think is a reflection of you, whether it is or not. And so how do you manage just being some someone that's not just mom? And not just your job title. Have you guys found ways to like also be this other person, that other part of yourself that isn't just those two things? I've been waiting for this question. Actually, I was thinking about it too, because so when I left work and we moved up here, when I physically left work, 
Kaz was two and a half. Both my kids have pretty much only known me to be a stay-at-home mom. And for me, just like losing my work identity, I didn't realize it until pretty recently, like that, how hard that was. And even moving up here and meeting people who had never known me, like you and Aaron knew me at work. And I realized that my kid, particularly my older kid, because Kenji and I share a brain, but my older kid never saw me as like a working person. And I think that it affected my own self-esteem too, that he Sometimes I felt like I didn't get some respect from him because it was his dad who was always working and then I was always kind of managing the household. And so this was my job. I always thought of this as this was supposed to be my full-time job. When we you know, moved up here, I wasn't going to work anymore. And, and that's what we had worked out and what I had chosen. I didn't realize I was gonna, it was going to be as challenging of a job as it was because I didn't realize I was going to have a child with disabilities and all the things that went into that. And it can definitely become my only identity. When I meet people, I feel, and they ask you, there's always that question that people ask one another and they really need to stop doing it, which is, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, stay-at-home mom. And it almost felt, it feels embarrassing to say, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And sometimes you'll get the like, well, that's the hardest job in the world. And it feels really <laughs> like patronizing because it's like someone has to raise humans, but like lots of people, Aaron works full-time, she has like a team, she has team Ruby and team Lucy out there that help her. Mm -hmm. um, and we all have those teams, but it definitely became hard. And then when I went back to work, it's funny because during the holiday times, like Valentine's and stuff, like Kaz is eating mac and cheese and like top ramen and all these things that like he normally doesn't eat. And he loves it because he's like a teenager. And I said, gosh, would you be kind of, are you happy when, <laughs> when I'm busier and you can just eat? junk food all day and he's yeah kind of but it just it's interesting to even with my parents with my dad he would see me going back to work as oh that's ed's break from taking care of kenji all the time and my sister had to step up and say no eddie's regaining her work identity like she's mm -hmm. getting she's not just a caretaker she's not helping you and mom out and she's not just taking care of the kids and she's not just helping out her ex-husband by taking care of the kids and holding down the fort like she's getting her own work identity back and I really, that meant a lot to me that she pointed that out as a working mother herself. And then I hadn't even really thought of it that way. I was like chalking it up to, oh, I'm just getting a break from my kids. But I think that's really important for people's self-worth. And I was curious too, because Samara, you said you got divorced five years ago. Mm -hmm. So your kids were a little older. So they knew you as like a working mom and having your own business. But yeah. now they have a big stretch of you of, as being like the stay-at-home mom. And do you feel like their attitudes are a little different, either better or worse? Because of that? I, No, I don't really feel like they even remember, even though it was like such a short time ago. I don't think that they look back and think that I was at work before. I really don't. But I feel the same as you, how you said that your work identity was gone. When I stopped working man, that was a hard thing to swallow because I knew it was my own business and I didn't go to college. So I knew at first I thought I could get a good job. And then when I started looking, I was like, oh man, what did I do? Who am I now? I can't go get a job. I have no education. I really don't have skill. Am I going to go out and tell people I worked for myself? Like that doesn't count. It really doesn't when it comes down to it. And yeah, that's why I ended up going back to school. But I do feel like 
I still haven't found it yet. I still feel like I am still, I do feel like that question of what do you do? It's, I feel ashamed sometimes. I'm just a mom. That's all I have. That's going to go away from me soon. But Sophia's yeah. 11. Joseph's going to be out of the house in a couple of years. I have a few more years with Matthew. What, where am I going to be when that's all gone? And that's like where I am right now, where I really don't feel like I have much going on. And it's not a great feeling sometimes. And I feel like probably a lot of stay-at-home moms get to that point where they're like, what do I do now? And it's a really hard transition. Yeah. Even though you're like juggling so many more responsibilities and actually break those down as to skills, applicable work skills, they're big. In fact, my ex, Dan, when we, we I was talking about, oh my God, I haven't updated a resume in, I don't know, 15 years. And he's, it'd be interesting to update your resume, but put in, put in descriptors of the things that you do as a mom, but in terms of like business sort of way, all the multitasking, the schlepping, the, all those things, but write them out and in a resume format, because I feel like I am way more responsible and take care of so many more important things now than I did when I was working at Pro Flowers. There are no real flower emergencies. I'm sorry. There are <laughs> not real emergencies when you are raising humans. <laughs> yeah. And the aspect of you've ruined my life. No, I actually could ruin an actual life. <laughs> and you just have a bad relationship that you need to figure out. If Roses are not going to settle yeah. that. Yeah. Or if your mom doesn't know you love her because her flowers were late, that's not, that's a problem. That's a problem. (laughs) You forgot your wife's birthday. That was the problem. And Samira, you started talking a little bit, but do you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's, you know, it for me. I just had, I felt like I had a, my career was something that was more important to me than I thought it was. And once it was gone, then I realized how much it was. So I felt, what did I have to do? Like at that point, it was like, I would take the kids to school and get back in bed because I would be like, I have nothing else to do today. This is what I'm worth taking my kids to school, picking them up. Then I realized I had more to do as the days went on because I had to. And I realized how much there was to do as a stay-at-home mom, which I wasn't before. I had a nanny before. Now I, I think about working and I think how would I even have a full-time job like Aaron I don't know how you do it that's amazing that you and your husband have a full-time job and the kids even through with the kids being at home for school that was my biggest saving grace I felt like my kids are older I don't know how people through like TK through like third grade how they even get their kids to do that and with you your kids are learning to do very important things at those ages. And how do they learn it a couple hours a day on Zoom? But anyway, that's how I yeah. feel about the whole thing. Yeah, no, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Erin? Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I think I still struggle with detaching my self-worth from work. I think I've had like really good runs at making progress there, but then you just slip back into to your norms. And for me, it's, I'm not good at, if I do something, I'm all in. I can't like half-ass it. And 
I think there, I've had some forcing functions. I think right before the pandemic, it was a pretty crummy year. My husband was diagnosed with cancer and had a really rigorous plan of daily radiation and weekly chemo for three months. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? My kids are so young. Like he's going to need so much help. And how am I going to keep my work stuff going? Cause I didn't have, um, as big of a team there. And I was like, I, I don't even know how I'm going to keep all juggling all these balls. Like definitely something's going to fall through the cracks. And I don't know. It's, I think sometimes with work, especially if you are a single point of failure and nobody else knows how to do some of the things that you do, it's stressful for me. Cause I'm like, okay, if something falls through the crack, that's like my, that's my name on the line with his cancer journey. I, I, we both worked actually for the first couple of weeks while he was okay. But then after that, we both were like, okay, neither of us can keep working through this. Like it's getting real and it's getting real quickly. I took a leave of absence for work for three months and I was nervous about that, but I was like, family comes first. My husband comes first. I got to keep this train on the tracks here at home and get him healthy again. And when I finally got back to work, it, it was stressful, but you know what? Stuff got done. It might not have gotten done how I would have done it, but it got done. And the things that weren't quite as important, they're just like, we'll wait for Aaron to get back to do that. And everything was fine, but it's, it's stressful at the time, but it's just work at the end of the day. But I, so I feel like I came back to work with a totally different perspective. And I'm like, I'm not going to let, you know, so much of my self-worth be tied to my work and little things that I would get so worked up about if they happen. I'm like, in the grand scheme of life, that really does not matter. Like back to the flower <laughs> things, right? Oh, your flowers were late. Your world is ending. No, it's not. But it's hard. Like it's a challenge for me because sometimes I feel like I have a totally new outlook on life when things get going and especially stress for me. Like when all these things pile on, I even do lose that perspective myself. So I don't know. It's definitely something I'm always trying to be mindful of and make sure I don't get back to that place. But it, it's a easy slide for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we're constantly learning and relearning mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. And thanks, by the way, just for sharing all this. I think it's, I don't know, I'm excited to learn all this. I mean, as long as I've known all these, like, in one case for your entire life, I'm learning something. So thanks for sharing this. So people love to give advice. I've given all the advice, I'm sure. And from what I've heard, getting unsolicited advice around parenting is super frustrating. And how have you learned to handle when someone does that to you? I don't get a ton of advice, I think, because I have, I have an unusual child. Even when I was at Pro Flowers and, and had a job where I was supposed to work with other people, like the flower part was like merchandising was like my domain, the flower design. And I always had a hard time collaborating with people. I never wanted to manage other people either. I just wanted to be like my own little island over here. And I think I am a little bit the same way with my current job as a parent, because especially with a kid like Kenji, where I, I deal with his therapists and his doctors and his teachers, and it's a hundred percent and the childcare, like a hundred percent, it's been like my domain. I have a hard time getting advice because I'm like, what are you basing that on? <laughs> I think it bothers it. I think it bothers every parent. And I feel like when your kids are also 
younger, a lot of people want to give you advice about a lot of things. And I feel like it's really hard because every kid is different and everyone has their own opinion. I got it a lot with my oldest son when he was small because he was like late with reading and late with speaking and stuff like that. And people would give me advice on it. It would just piss me off. I'm like, and now I've learned, like gave me a life lesson on being a parent because everybody learns to read at a different time. Everybody learns to, you know, at a different time, everybody learns social skills at a different time. Like it's just at the pace, you know, of what you're going to do. And even even as for us as adults, sometimes things just click with people at different times, but I feel there's like a norm and everybody wants to be like that perfect person and that perfect thing and their kids to be perfect. And that's the beauty of raising children. Nobody's perfect. You can't mold your kid to be like what you want them to be. They're gonna grow up and they're gonna be a human. And yeah, you wanna guide them and teach them to be a good one, but there's a lot of great things that come from things that you don't necessarily teach your kids. I just feel like a lot of people give you advice based on them thinking that their kids are the greatest kids. And I feel like that happens too often. And I feel like parents should be more understanding. I feel like when you say something about your kid or just are venting that maybe people should listen more and not respond as much. And I feel like that's a big problem with just supporting other people. Note taken. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're really good about not telling me what to do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron? I think for me, most of the unsolicited advice I get just again, being on the younger years of the journey is just people sharing what worked for them when their kid was in the same phase. And I think I just, so I always try to assume positive intent in people. And I think at the end of the day that people are really just trying to be helpful. They have a good heart and they're trying to be helpful and they're trying to share. And I just, I don't take it personally, just because if there was one right way to parent, we'd all be doing it the same way. There's no way to your point, Samir, it's like every kid's different, every family's different everybody's goals are different. There's a variety. There is no one way to do it. So I just, I don't know. It's like splish, splash water down my back. Yeah. Well, that's good. No, that's probably the healthiest way too. But yeah. So if you're at all like me, you definitely had a moment at some point or many moments really, I'm not going to be like my mother, that whole thing. Has anything happened where you're like, oh yeah, I am like my mother. Oh my God. I'm so much like my mom. <laughs> but I all say this like in good ways I don't think negatively about things that my mom did growing up and yeah the biggest thing that I would criticize my mom for was like not speaking up for herself enough and in that way we are very different because (laughs) I'm very vocal (laughs) I'm very forward with how I'm feeling about things but she in terms of mothering I think I like emulating a lot of the things that she did growing up because she was a stay-at-home mom Mm. and she was an artist and yeah and she cooked and she did all kinds of cool stuff and I think 
I like looking back now in a reflective way and seeing, oh, mom did all this stuff when we were at school. That's when she used to practice her art and that thing, but we never saw her do it when we got home. She would be in mom mode and she was silly and she was like into nature and she would hang out. And so I actually think I'm a lot like my mom in, in some good ways. And yeah, I think she was a good role model as a stay at home mom. Hmm. I just wish she would have spoken up for herself once in a while and not like repressed her feelings so much if she was feeling hurt or tired or underappreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that I feel like my parenting style is very different than mom's or mom's. Yeah. Very different. I feel like a lot of times she's not happy with my parenting style, but it's mine. Like we're different when it comes to stuff. But I know one thing that I got from mom and I remember when we would all be in trouble and my mom would try not to laugh and <laughs> she would make this face and it would be holding in a laugh so much. And we would all be like, you're about to laugh. You're about to laugh. And I feel that way so often with the kids because they, when they do bad things, they're funny things. And I, <laughs> but I don't want them to know I think it's funny or that I'm amused by the bad things that they've done. So I usually try to just walk away before I start laughing. Do they know that you're amused? Like you knew your mom was amused? I don't think they know as much as my mom as we knew my mom was, but they do know sometimes because yeah. cause she would just sit there like with her lips pursed, like she looked like yeah. she was going to blow up. And then we were fun. I don't know if we were funny kids. And I think all kids are funny. Like everyone thinks their kids are funny probably because they are, they're all funny, but we would just, we would start laughing. And then the three of us would laugh. And if our brothers started laughing, I would lose it. And I did the same with Samara's because I'm the worst person to be around kids who are in trouble because I'll start laughing. And I'm like, well, I'm not a parent. I don't have to not laugh. I can do what I want. If we're at my mom's, I'll get in trouble with Samara's kids. Like my mom will come after me as much as the other ones, but she'll still do it. She'll still hold her. Yeah, I mean, even like with things when they're not in trouble, like the other day, Sophia was just reading a Bible script that she had to memorize for school. And one of the words was righteousness. And she's reading me this script that she needs to memorize and she says redonkulousness I was like, what? I was like let me see the paper you're reading and it's righteousness just like that kind of stuff like I should not be laughing at her I mean I should just correct her but I'm like ah. <laughs> So just like little things like that. Yeah, I know this one I was thinking long and hard about because I think in a lot of areas I'm like my mom and I'm like, man, there has to be something that I was like, I'm not going to be like that. And the only thing I could think about was how my parents insisted on picking me up from prom as a sophomore when I went with a senior, like the second it was over and they were outside the gates and it was horribly embarrassing and I didn't get it at the time. But now as a parent... Oh yeah, I totally get that and I'd probably do the same. <laughs> but I think one area that um I am like my mom and it's I wish I maybe wasn't this way is I think both my mom and I struggle to ask for help when we're overwhelmed. Mm. And I can vividly remember my mom just like maybe twice throughout my childhood. Like I couldn't find her and she was just like crying outside, just sitting like crying. Mm. And I think it's just because she was just like overwhelmed probably and that or 
I think that was my guess that or just confrontation like my family's not very good with like confrontation so those mm -hmm. are like two things that I think I'm very much like my mom and wish I was better at different at mm -hmm. yeah because mm -hmm. it's doing anything on your own is hard but then I think you guys all have just yeah, you need help sometimes and it makes sense not to be able to manage like people's full lives. Yeah. Like yeah. And it's, I don't know. You like to think you can do everything and you can do it all, but it's, you can't. Yeah. We're all human. And also people really want to help. Take them up on it. But I think for me, it's really hard to raise my hand and be like, okay, I'm officially drowning and I need help. It's tough for me. Do you ever have confrontation with your kids like I know I definitely know this about you because I don't think I've ever seen give anybody lip yeah. <laughs> to their face and yeah I haven't seen you cause conflict with anyone but if your kids are really you don't do it with them either no so the other thing is I feel like I'm an o overly patient person if that's such a thing so I feel like I have a very long fuse but should you get to the end of it it's not pretty it just doesn't it just doesn't happen often and generally my husband gets there faster than I do so he does enough confronting for the both of us <laughs> um yeah to be fair two of the people on this call have lived with me so I think they just got tested a bit before they had kids so at work I, we always get asked, like, what's your long-term goals? What's your five-year plan? Whatever. Do you ever think of that with your kids and just what you hope for them? Because I know everyone like will say, not everyone, but I think a lot of people say, oh, I just want my kids to have a better life than I did or something. Do you have anything that maybe it's changed over time? What your hope is for your kids now that you've lived like longer? I think you and I have even talked about this, but one of the things I repeat to myself a lot is I just have to, if I'm having a hard time dealing with things that I just have to reset my expectations and that's like a lot this last year is like I just need to reset my expectations with Kenji that has been like the big lesson I've learned from him is you can't look at milestones you can't look at a lot of people will ask when they first meet him or find out about having a child with disabilities like one they want to know what is like oh what's wrong with him does he have a syndrome or anything and so people are weird about not under like if if there's just not things that are defined. And so for Kenji, they're like, is he going to grow out of it? I'm like, nope. You're like, I don't know. What's he going to be like when he's 20? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have a, we don't have a magic ball. And so for me, my goals for Kenji are that he live as independent a life as he can. And whether that means like he lives in a group home or he lives with me, but he can ride a bus or have a, a job. Like I want him to feel fulfilled and of value and happy and satisfied. And I have Kenji and I think about what his life is going to be like. It's so funny because sometimes like I completely forget to lay over those same sets of rules for Kaz, but I do want the same things for Kaz. But with Kaz, I'm like, he's got to go to college. I want him to have a job that he loves that makes him happy. And I, but I, I have very separate like goals for both of them. But in the end, in the end, I just want them to be, I want them to feel fulfilled and I want them to always come home and ask me to make their favorite meals. <laughs> <laughs> For, I think all my kids, I feel differently about them. I really hope that I'll start with my youngest, which is my little girl, Sophia. I just hope she becomes more focused in general and cares more about just 
her academics and stuff for her future years of middle school and high school. I had a discussion with her today because she had a couple of missing assignments on something that she has to do every single week. She's missed the last two weeks. And I, I told her, I said, why do you think that the other kids in your class have to do this every week and you don't? That's like a conversation I have with her often. Like, why do you think everyone else has to do it and you just don't have to do it? So I hope she has more like self like responsibility like of what she needs to do for herself in her future years and i really hope that she goes to college and i hope she travels and i hope she has a sense of self-worth that i never had when it comes to getting an education and doing things on her own because i did get married very young and i never did things that i hope that she does because i feel like that's an important thing for a woman to do before she gets married and has kids. Because I feel like that's a big reason why I feel like I am where I am right now, because I didn't do those things when I was younger. I'm going to have the opportunity when I'm 47, all my kids are going to be 18. So I'll have that chance as a, an adult, but I really hope that she leads that for her own life when she's younger and doesn't just graduate high school and just do whatever. For my middle son, Matthew, I hope that he really looks more into his creative side because I think he's a very creative kid. I hope that he finds what he wants to do because he's a lot of kids are like, oh, I want to be this or I want to be this at some point in their life. He's never had an idea of what he wants to do when he is older. But I think he has a lot of opportunity in his life and with his school to be introduced to a lot of things. So I hope that when he does graduate high school, that he has a path that he wants to go and he's not. And I don't know, because a lot of things with him is, I don't know. Even when you ask him, what do you want to eat? I don't know. It's always, I don't know. What do you want to eat? I hope he's more assertive with himself and like really gravitates to something. With Joseph, I know he's going to go to college. He's already ready to go. But he also, I feel like he's in a really good place. And I feel like he has everything that I've wanted him to have. Like he's a very strong person. And I hope he continues to be that way as he grows up to an adult because he's a pretty great young man. And he's pretty like assertive with himself and makes good decisions. And I hope he continues that. I think for me, just again, on the younger end of the spectrum, like I'm just trying to raise like kind humans that lead with empathy. I think, I don't know, especially this day and age, like if we can, I don't know, I'm just trying to instill those aspects in just how they think about things. And if they're on the playground and you see somebody that's by themselves, go ask them to play. Nobody wants to be by themselves. And then I think from the girl mom aspect, just raising confident girls is a big thing for me and especially not to bring it back to the bullying thing again but just I think that's my biggest worry is these are the impressionable years for sure and how do I help elevate them and really empower them to be confident girls and eventually women and not worry about this other nonsense or being put down or even it must have been one of the teachers because they ruby came home and said they said the boys are being saying mean things to me because they like me that means they have a crush on me and i'm like can we not go down that path so we had to have that conversation <laughs> but again it's these conversations i wasn't expecting to have in first grade but i think those are i think that raising confident girls is probably the one that 
keeps me up at night the most. I think I worry about that one the most, just because to your point, Samira, about social media and how it's totally changed the game of how we grew up, we didn't have to deal with that. Or just there's a whole slew of things that I feel like we didn't have to deal with growing up. And I usually go to my mom for advice. And my mom's like, I didn't have to navigate these problems. I don't know, scares me a little bit. But at the end of the day, I just want them to be like, happy, kind human beings. Yeah. Cool guys. I mean that, I don't know. That's, this is just really nice for me. So I think people will like it, but I'm just happy happy to get this perspective from you guys. Cause we usually talk about just other stuff. Do you, so I, the next questions are just like what I ask all my guests. And so they're like a standard template of questions, but do you have any advice or mantra that you use that you want to share with people? My mantra is that transitions are hard because they are. <laughs> It's the motto in my household, getting out the door. All transitions are hard. And my other favorite thing to say is that easy is for suckers. <laughs> that's, that's like, <laughs> that's like my, my daily affirmation when things are hard. I'm just like, whatever, easy is for suckers. <laughs> like, who wants easy? <laughs> I heard a new one the other day in a webinar that I was in. And I was like, oh, I really like that. And I feel like everybody could use a little dose of it in this day and age but the presenter said that we should always argue like we're right but listen like we're wrong Hmm. and I translated that for my kiddos to you have two ears and one mouth because you should do twice as much listening as you do talk that was I don't know one that I liked as of recent yeah that's cool so okay so now this is the fun fives it's just a series of questions I ask every guest so we'll go through these what's the oldest shirt you have and still wear so my oldest shirt is a billabong hoodie that i've had since i was in the eighth grade (laughs) i still have it and i still wear it Jeez, that's pretty good (laughs) i haven't grown (laughs) (laughs) well yeah clothes were so big back then too i know your sweatshirt you're talking about but like i don't know just sometimes the t-shirts from like way back you're like what was i doing like what was that about so yeah well i'm older than you so like you're like i guess i was still 90s so you're right we were wearing big clothes (laughs) (laughs) mine's the obama shirt that you got me I'm assuming when Obama was pre- uh, pregnant, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> was not pregnant. President. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's an Obama shirt that I'm. you got me. And I think it must have been right when he became president. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. And I still wear it to bed sometimes. It has a couple holes in it. Uh, for me, my t-shirt game is not strong. I definitely Marie Kondo'd all my t-shirts. I think the oldest article of clothing I have that I still wear is a pair of Adidas soccer shorts from the 90s that I cannot get rid of because I cannot wear these short shorts they're making these days. I like them to my knees. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's not comfortable. I don't no, know. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. Yeah. You look down and you're like, wow, I'm showing a lot of leg, mm-hmm. you know? To myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. All right. So this one, um, if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like, 
it has seemed basically due to the pandemic. What song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning? And I don't mean that you literally have to have your alarm clock play a song presently because people get confused by this. I'm like, I don't, I don't really care about your wake up habits right now. Just like if this occurred, what would you guys do? I've thought a lot about this because, you know, I'm a first time guest, but a long time listener. <laughs> and every time I listen to one of your episodes, I'm like, what would be my answers? So for sure, 100 percent is going to come as a huge surprise, I know, which is sarcastic. But um, History Eraser by Courtney Barnett, which is a very appropriate title for this and is also like my favorite song of hers. All right, cool. Awesome. My pandemic song has been Avicii, Wake Me Up, When This Is Over. Um, but normally, normally I do actually wake up to music, and James Taylor was uh, my jam forever. Um, but as of recent, I've been listening or getting up to Get Along by Kenny Chesney. So I'm all over the boards. All right, cool. Hmm. I think I would do Good Morning by Kanye West. Great. Now I have to add Kanye West to a Spotify playlist of mine. Great. Okay. Do you do that on purpose? Well, it's fine because probably no one listens to it. Okay. So then... <laughs> All right. So then uh, coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. Mimosa. Iced tea. Iced tea. All right. Well, we know we know when the kids are older, at least you can start your day right, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, can you think of a time you like laughed so hard you cried or just couldn't stop or something that makes you do that? So I think the last time that I just could not stop laughing and I was in tears was that that Zoom call where the guy was a cat, the cat filter one. <laughs> It was so funny. I watched it like 20 times and every time I could not stop laughing. So <laughs> that, and, and then if I had to pick a second time, cause I was really trying to think about this. I clearly, I need to, I need to be around people that make me laugh more, but I think it was like right before Thanksgiving when you, me and Rob were, were on a call together. Um, and we were trying to take like a still shot or something and just kept failing miserably. And I think I got like a bad case of the giggles and was crying when I was walking out the door. <laughs> well, I just was on vacation with, um, my friends, Debbie and Scott, and we had a lot of really, really good laughs and like laughing so hard. We couldn't even stand up straight. So that was a good time. Nice. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't have one particular one that came to mind, but I feel like those times usually come with old friends when you get together and are just like reminiscing. Um, so I think that's one of the things that I look forward to getting back to uh, mm. post-pandemic for sure. Yeah, oh, totally. All right, and the last of the fun five, who inspires you right now? So I find inspiration and in, I feel like, you know, lots of different people every day. Uh, but Rabia, you are kind of my inspiring person. I feel like, um, you know, just so many things about you and you're always 
um, trying to better yourself or learn something new or do something hard or take the time to really like be a better version of yourself. And um, I wish I could do more of that or would do more of that or had the motivation to do more of that. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really nice. And it's the reason I asked this question. So now I'll retire it. <laughs> I tried to think if there was like some famous person or whatever and lots of people on Robbie's pod I find very inspirational but I and she knows this like everything that Robbie has been doing this last year has been amazing and she is terrible about taking the compliments this is making her very uncomfortable I can tell but um <laughs> but yeah like you're always pushing forward you also like continuously work on yourself and you also are really honest and and allow yourself to be vulnerable both with like comedy and the pod and just in our conversations and then I have this other friend Amanda who does the same thing like she um, has been really honest about sharing times that she is vulnerable that she has worked on her mental health she has you know ventured out into new um, creative opportunities that really fulfill her and taken chances and they've worked out. And I just am really proud of both of you. And I find that really, I do truly find it really inspiring. So as I go about my day and I think about things that are hard or that might make me feel like, you know, um, like I'm putting myself out there too much or I could, you know, be rejected or feel, you know, cruddy about it. Then I just, push myself a little harder to go and try it because you never know. And you guys do it and it's been great. And I've enjoyed both of you, like the work that you've put out and your creativity this year in your own ways has been awesome. So. Awesome. Well, thank you. So Samara. I have a, you know, I have a couple people in my life that I feel like are that way. And one is a, it's pretty silly. It's my oldest son. He's just, he's such a hard worker. I feel like if I had just like, half of what he kind of gives out right now that I would be like more successful in my own life, like with my, with myself. Um, I mean, sometimes he asks me to go to practice at six fifteen in the morning and I don't want to wake up. And I think, why do I not want to wake up? He's the one that's going to have to be working. I can drive and drive back home and hop back in bed, you know, like he's, you know, then he comes home from practice and, practices again or works out again. And then he does his schoolwork. He's up, you know, tonight I'll actually be up later than he is, but usually I'm in bed before he is. And sometimes I think like, man, how does this kid do it? I wish I was just a little like him and I would be in it. Like, I really think he's going to be a very successful person at what he does. So I like that, like work ethic that he has. Um, another person is you know, one of my best friends, her name's Danielle. She also has three kids. Um, and she stayed at home until, um, probably like five or six years ago. And she went back to work and started a business and she works really, really, really hard. And she's a really, really good mom. And, um, she's a really selfless person in general. I mean, she's just like a, such a kind hearted person and such a giving person. I mean, I, I know that if I ever needed anything, she would give it to me, even if that meant she were to suffer, you know, she's just a really, really great person. And I feel like that's hard to find nowadays. Like you just, 
there's not a lot of people like that. And I mean, and to go back to, you know, Aaron and Ed, like Rabia, you're like, what you've done through this pandemic is, is crazy. Like most people have shut down during it. You've strived through it, you know, like with the comedy, with the podcast, and you have a job and not to mention you're by yourself in London doing this all in a flat, you know, it's like, talk about resources. A lot of people don't have, oh, and you're back at school, you know, it's like, a lot of people don't have the resources to do stuff and find a way to do it. And I think that Robbie, you're really someone that goes out of the box and finds a way to do things that it would be easier not to do them. And I feel like that's the, you know, kind of like the way I am. It's like, Oh, that's kind of hard. So I'm just not going to do it. So I kind of look at three of, you know, Danielle and you and Joseph, and you kind of all have that in you. And I, you know, I look up to that. It's, a great great thing to have well you guys thanks for saying that and you know i just i admire joseph too for sure which is kind of weird to admire a 16 year old kid but that's he's someone who i even look to like if i keep striving i can be better as well and um i had each of you on just because i've talked to at least one of you about being on the podcast before and people are like you know you guys say oh i'm not that interesting i have nothing to say but you've all had something to say that's been really insightful so Thank you for taking the time to be on here with me and happy Mother's Day to all of you. This will come out on Mother's Day. So thanks a lot for being here. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Cool. Thank you so much, Rabia. (laughs) 